All right, what is going on, everybody? Alex with Hidden Falls Media, and we are back with another awesome episode. Today, I'm joined by Anne Laguza. She's a CEO, a speaker, a performance coach, and an HR subject matter expert. This call is perfect for all of you business owners who are trying to build a team, who are trying to cultivate and build that tight-knit community that everybody talks about, but it seems so hard to manage to develop and grow. I've known Anne for probably about two, two and a half years now, and I know this episode is going to be absolutely incredible for you. But as always, I want to make sure that we're upfront about what this truly is. We don't run ads. We don't sell you any type of weird course on the show. Even though as a digital marketer, I could flood you with ads all day long. We don't do that. The goal is to provide you as much value to help take you from wherever you're at to the next level in your business by giving you all the different tools, tactics, and people that are, it's their profession to get you there. So Anne, please please, please, where can people find you? How can we get more of your stuff? Awesome. So I'm so excited to be here. So I'm Anne Laguza. I'm the CEO of The Works Consulting. We provide human resources and leadership development services, just like Alex said, coaching, speaking, you know, um, we do workshops for people. Um, I'm most easily found on Instagram and LinkedIn at Anne Laguza, just like my name, A-N-N-E-L-A-G-U-Z-Z-A. And then we'll put all those in the show notes too for everybody. Cool. Thank so, you. and the reason I wanted to have this conversation, which I've been super excited about and looking forward to is you're kind of a badass. You, you take the people with, I mean, everybody hates HR, right? At least that's the perception, right? Everybody <laughs> Including hates Including me. <laughs> so what, what I would say is one of your superpowers is beyond calling it straight for what it is, no matter what the situation is, you have a keen ability to make super I kind of like abstract ideas within HR of like, how do we take okay players and either turn them into great players or how do we fish them out of the system as fast as we possibly can to get more of those A players in? Can you talk about that a little bit? Oh my gosh, absolutely. That's like, first of all, that's like my favorite thing to talk about, right? So, I mean, I think I, I really firmly believe that where you start with building a great team is obviously in the hiring process. And I think so many people, one, don't have a process. They rush that process because um, what I often hear is, oh, I don't have enough time, you know, to really find the right person. Or sometimes leaders look at their current team and they're like, oh, they're burnt out. They're tired. I just got to bring in like somebody's better than nobody. Right. Mm -hmm. And that is the biggest mistake you can make because somebody can really rip apart your morale and your team and everything. So I think that's where you start. Right. You start with the hiring process and then you've got to just really actively manage them throughout. It, I, it's so funny. I just was talking the other day about how I don't think people, I don't think leaders ever learn, business owners, leaders ever learn that the people management is going to suck up so much of their time, right? It's like, yeah. oh, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to start my business and I'm going to get to do all this cool stuff. But then you start to do cool stuff and you need more people. And then now you're sucked in all the people stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it's easy. It's easy to get sucked into the people stuff. So easy. Well, and you need to be like, I've actually heard business owners say, you know, I don't, I don't have time for this. And then I really tell them they shouldn't have a team then, because if you don't, if you can't, don't have that time to lead your team, then you shouldn't have a team. You should just be a solopreneur and do your thing and forget having people. So how does, how do we start to do that? Right. We've all seen it. We've all been in the organizations where either there's weak leadership up top or you're the A player and you're driving the bus. And it's like, this guy has no girl has no idea what they're doing or how to do this. And I'm going to blow past them, but I can't because they're the one that's right in front of me to be able to do that. 
I know. I know. I mean, so I think that I, I mean, I definitely think that if you're an A player, don't stop being an A player. I'm a firm believer that you got to keep going, but you know, it's funny. I just said to somebody the other day, they were asking me if I would coach like a team member instead of a leader. And the reason I said no to that is because usually where I find the issue is with the leader, sure. right? So it's like, I can coach this team member, but what I'm going to probably end up doing is coaching them to leave the organization, which, you know, that's going to make everybody mad. So I want to work with the leader first, but I think that, you know, when you see, when you see somebody that you think is, you know, I call them underperformers. I mean, obviously one of the first things they do is you try to talk to that person, whoever you, if you're not, if you're the top, then you're the top. And I mean, we could talk about two different things, right? We're going to need to manage those people. Um, if you're not the top, but you're working with somebody who's not a high performer, you're going to need to do your best to communicate that in a way to the person who can listen to you. And, and, and hopefully, you know, they'll pay attention to it, but those are tough situations because those high performers will usually leave. I mean, that's what they do. It's like, if a high performer is faced with a situation where they're, there's, they're not, they don't feel valued. They don't feel like what they're contributing is really standing out through from everybody else who's not a high performer. They usually will leave the organization and then you end up losing a really good person and it's too late. Hmm. Um, I just shared the other day that, um, this happened recently to someone who they had a high performer. And, and the crazy thing about this high performer is they actually talked to the owner of the company and said, like, here are my issues and here's the person that's blocking me and here's why I can't get my job done. And they had done this over a year repeatedly. And the owner kind of just kept saying, you know, sort of suck it up, like suck it up and just deal with it, deal with it, deal with it. And then... Um, eventually just got to the point where they decided they weren't going to do it anymore. And they even went in on the very, like the day they gave notice and gave it one last try right before they gave notice. And they kind of just said, oh yeah, we don't really think it's that big of a problem. And then when they gave notice, then the company started trying to scramble to save them, you know? And I'm just like, oh, it's too late. It's too late. You know, I think one of the things about high performers that I find is they'll bring things your, to your attention in a non-complaining kind of way. They will mm. have a, they'll have examples, they'll have clear information and they'll tell you why it's, you know, prohibiting them from getting their job done. And I think those are the moments you got to pay attention to because when you miss those moments, that's, that starts to take away the value that they feel and every little like chink in the armor, as they say, starts to pull away from that person. So they won't right. be as good for you anymore. Is it possible to turn that that B performer, that B level person into an A level performer, or are they just stuck there because of mindset or just as a personality trait, they just don't have that next level drive. We hear that as business owners, Hey, not everybody needs to be a leader. Sometimes True. you need the cog in the machine to get the mundane stuff done that nobody else wants to do that this person is perfect for. But as an A player, you want to pull them up or repel them immediately. Right. So how, right. Do, how do we start to navigate this field? That's really good. You said a bunch of good stuff right there. So first of all, being a high performer doesn't necessarily mean that they want to be like the next supervisor, manager, or whatever. It can be that they're just freaking phenomenal in their job, you know, that they're doing. And they can be an incredible team player, but they're, 
they're a high performer in that role, right? Mm. But I think, do you, are you able to turn, a B, I like the way you say B player, I always call them underperformers, but <laughs> you know, turning an underperformer into a high performer, there's a couple things. One is, are they mismatched for the job? Because if they're mismatched for the job, it's very likely they could turn into high performer. Um, one of my clients had this amazing success story where, you know, unfortunately they had to let go of someone who really the position had outgrown this person, right? Mm. And they did all this coaching and training. They couldn't get this person to grow with the job. But then what my client actually did is he knew of another opportunity that'd be a perfect match. He called them, said, listen, like I got somebody that you should take, like this person's really good. And now he's over there like thriving. That's and awesome. I was like, oh my God, like who does that first of all? But but he identified, he's like, this guy isn't a, he's at my underperformer right now, but he is not like hopeless, if you will. Right. Yeah. I just know he's completely mismatched. So being mismatched for the job is one, but the other thing sometimes about when I, when people say, well, can I turn this low performer into a high performer? Here's mo the moment of tough love, but it's a lot of times it's the leader. It's the mm. leader that isn't doing what they should be doing to make sure that the team is running effectively. Um, and so if they are actively managing their teams and they're meeting with them regularly and they're, they are holding them accountable and they are being accountable and all those things I talk about, then there is, there is potential, but again, then there's always a, that percentage of people that are just not going to work out. You brought up something that no, I haven't heard a lot of people talk about, which is the accountability structure within your business. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the standard operating procedures that often gets completely overlooked when you, I'm sure you see it all the time, but even as building a business on my own, it's not in any book out there of like, Hey, like you need to have accountability structures built into your business. It's not talked about, but it's so important, especially when we're talking about building and scaling a company. It's not just one or two people you have to manage. Now we're talking about dozens of people and how do we start to structure and organize all this accountability and measurement of who's doing what and when. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is one of the biggest struggles that leaders have actually is how do I hold all these people accountable, right? And then how do I hold myself accountable? Um, you know, I, I love when I walk into organizations and they have values or things that they say, oh, we, these are really important to us, but then the actual owner of the company isn't even doing it, right? Yeah. So they have customer service as one of their values, but then internal customer service is terrible, right? They, mm. they don't respond to employees quickly. Um, employees can never reach the leaders in the company, whatever, things like that. And that just says, okay, customer service is important where just externally. I mean, you've got sure. to exhibit it internally. So um, yeah, I mean, I think setting that up. So the leader one has to be really clear on what their expectations are. Right. And then the part that seems to be hard. So I have worked with a lot of business owners and leaders that seem to be able to articulate what their expectations are, but then the gap that it was is actually being able to say those expectations and they almost like soften them or minimize them because they, they're afraid. It sounds like like things I hear are, Oh, yeah, but I don't want to be micromanaging or I don't want to tell somebody what it is. And I'm like, why, why not? Like most people will try to meet their supervisor's expectations. So most people will try, but they have to know what they are. And if they don't know what they are, they're just like throwing stuff out there, just hoping one of these things will be what they're looking for. Right. So you should be super clear on what your expectations are. That's something I've struggled with to where I feel like I've pushed and pulled inside of micro and macro managing. And it, yeah. it almost feels like a, a constant rubber band effect. 
kind of yeah. moving back and forth of like, I push and I pull. And it wasn't until we started to get core values in place that I felt like I could really start to meet more in the middle yes. and be like, and give more responsibility and onus to the individuals that are performing the tasks. Totally. Cause then they have like their map, like they understand yeah. what the guidelines are. It is so much easier. I mean, I think sometimes, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, like you forget like, but that's exactly what helped you, right? Get to where you are. And it helps to have guidelines. And I think, I mean, I think the word micromanagement gets thrown around so much. And there are times that I absolutely tell leaders that they should have the permission to closely manage people. I mean, one of those times is when someone's brand new. And I usually coach my leaders to just say straight up first day, you know, it is going to feel like I'm closely managing you. And I am. And it's not because you don't bring the skills or experience because I hired you or whatever you hired them for. I hired you for these things, but you don't know us yet. You know, you don't know my management style yet. You don't know our company yet. And the only way to make sure you're successful is if I closely manage you and help you through that. I help you navigate the politics of things, who knows who, where to get this information, all that. So my job is to make you successful. If you said that to every new hire, how many are going to be like, oh, I don't want to be successful here. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> forget it. I'm not interested. But if they know it's like a limited time and I usually say, tell them it's going to be anywhere from 30 to 90 days. I mean, maybe it'll be a little longer depending on how complicated your structure is and things like that. But, but most people, they're fine with that. They actually have a breath of fresh air, like, or, you know, take a deep breath and go, oh, thank God, you know, I'm not going to be figuring this out all on my own. So yeah, you're not setting me up for failure. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. How do we start to develop leaders? Because oh you, you can read all the books, right? But yeah. There's so much. I mean, and trust me, I've read a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't equate to the real thing. I know. And you've really got to take that. You've got to take all that, that you're learning and actually put it into practice. And, yeah. and it's funny for me, what it seems like it really continues to drill down to and all the coaching that I've done is it drills down to that communication piece. Like mm -hmm. I really feel like there, there is just that disconnect and feeling comfortable in speaking up and saying what it is you want. And also understanding that that's not going to be for everybody. You know, some people, you know, one of the, when I work on the, the reverse side, right, where employees are like, oh, my leader's like this, and how do I make my leader do this? And, and I'm like, well, you can't really make them. I mean, you can certainly ask them for what you need, um, but they can make a decision and not give that to you. And then that's your choice, right? Like, but I feel like if everybody knows what they're working with, we're going to have a much bigger opportunity to be successful because people will opt out that don't want to be a part of it. And that's okay. Um, I shared this story before, but um, I had a, a CEO that I worked with and we went through, a, this was when I was in house and we went through a big struggle where he didn't trust me. So like I'm his HR director, we have 600 employees um, and every day, I, or I was out in the field, I would go out in the field. And so every day morning, I would get these phone calls from him that were just like scathing voicemails. Like, where have you been? Like, he didn't quite say I didn't trust you, but I don't know where you are during the day. And just, it was terrible. So I finally, I mean, I had like four or five of these calls and I'm like, I'm done. So I just went into his office and I just said, like, do you trust me? Just flat out. Like, I just need to know if you trust me. And he, his response was literally like, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm like, okay, well then we need to hash this out because yeah. like, I have a lot of responsibility here. He was a, you know, they were a family run company, even though they were large and, um, you know, they gave me check signing authority. I have all of the employees, social security numbers. I mean, there's a wow. lot of trust there. Right. Yeah. 
So if he doesn't trust me where I am during the day, so we went through back and forth. And what he, we ended up coming up with is he wanted me to call him every day when I wasn't going to come into the office. Like if I was starting my day somewhere else, I had to call him. And at the end of the day, if I wasn't ending in the office, I had to call him. Is that kind of micromanagement? Yeah, of your director of HR, kind of. But I liked working there so much. I love the people. I really learned a lot from him. So that was like a little give for me to go, okay, I don't care. You know, I'll do it. And that's how your high performers will respond to you, by the way, when you ask them to do stuff like that. They will, if you don't micromanage your high performer anyway, they will respond well with your requests. They really will. Yeah. It almost sounds like knowing which battles to pick in order to win the war. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And over time, you know, we built a great relationship and we were, we're still good friends today. And I ended up really being his right hand in many situations that I wouldn't have had exposure to, but I was willing to one, have that conversation, which who knows, knows how that would have gone. I mean, I wasn't sure. I thought this might be my last day here, right? <laughs> he could be like, you're fired. I don't know. But I was willing to take that chance because it was important to me to build that relationship. So I think that goes both ways, right? I think leaders yeah. have to be comfortable to have that conversation too. It's uh, it's omnidirectional. Yes. What I've, what I've started to learn. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. 2020 has been a whirlwind for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. And for so many, they took the leap to start a new business. Yeah, HR is such an important part of that. And it's often, and you see this all the time, overlooked completely until yeah. they're at that oh shit moment of, oh, I don't have anything in place. <laughs> Where do we start? Where does somebody start with this whole big plethora of an atmosphere that is HR? Well, I mean, I think if you're going to, you know, if you're starting in that compliance piece of it. There's all kinds of resources out there. You, you'll have local um, small business associations and things like that that have resources for you. I think, but I, I'll tell you, I think the most important thing you do when you're starting a business, and like I said, sort of is the people component. And if you, you have to set up, like you said, your core values, you have to set up, how do I want my people to feel at the end of the day? You know, when they're, you know, so many companies uh, got so worried about how people were posting on social media, right? And trying to control the posting. And I thought, why don't we try to control what they're saying, right? Why don't we make the experience so amazing that what they're saying is, oh, my employer's amazing. My boss is amazing. I love working here rather than trying to control what they can and can't say on social media. So um, I think it's about that. It's like, I like, you really got to step back and say, what kind of experience am I going to create? And here's something else that I know a lot of the books say, but no one, if they're not the owner, they're not going to act like the owner. Mm. So don't, don't expect people to act like the owner. Don't expect them to work like you. Don't expect them to take the kind of pride that you take. They will take pride and you can, you can build a a team of raving fans, but they're never going to be the owner unless you're giving them ownership. I think that's one of the big mistakes. Everybody stop rewind like two minutes and just catch that all over again and that probably needs to be put on repeat like 500 times because even still even though i i understand it and i accept it it's still a hit to the ego when that happens it's true and it's I just true. you just got to roll with them but it's still that hit one of my favorite clients i remember we were going back and forth about his team and he uh he said to me one day but i just want them to act like they're owners and i said yeah but are they owners because you own the company and they don't even have any ownership. And he's like, that's a good point. I'm like, they're never going to act like owners. You will have great employees. You will have people that will 
will go to battle for you, right? But if they do not own part of the company, you cannot expect that kind of commitment that you have. Because as the owner, you'll work tirelessly for your business. You really will. And yeah. and I think you can find great people. I mean, I have great people on my team that I built, but you know, um, but they're not owners. And I remember that all the time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Can you build a team of only leaders or do you need people that aren't leaders in there? Oh, that's a great question. Well, I think that's a great question. I really do. So I think that it's how you think about leaders, right? So if you're thinking about how leaders are always leading people, right? Then no, probably not. But do I think that everyone can be a leader of their in their own sort of world or domain or area? Absolutely, I think. I think you can 100% build a team of high performers. I um, was teaching this workshop once where I was talking about low performers, mid performers, high performers. And um, so I was saying that most organizations have, you know, a few low, some mid and hopefully more high. And I remember this uh, CEO raised her hand and she said, why can't I have a company with just all high performers? This was like, I don't know, 10 years ago. And I was like, that's a great question. And you know what? I mean, I think that really helped start to change my mission because I was like, why can't you? And why would we ever settle for anybody less than the best, right? In our organization. So I think that everybody can have their, I don't know if ever, I mean, it depends like how you define leader, but yes, I think you can have people who are all take pride in something that they own. And to me, that's a leader, right? It's like, you have something that you sort of own your responsibility. Your job is to make sure it's great um, all the time. And so I absolutely think that. I love that. I, I truly do. Yeah. So how, how do we start to find them? Right. <laughs> if, if it truly is possible, how do you start to build a team of nothing but just studs? I know. So you absolutely, so being, you have to be super clear upfront what you want them to do. So you know who you're looking for. And that doesn't even mean like, I'm a big fan of hiring for attitude and hiring for, um, potential. Um, it doesn't mean it's, I just had this conversation with a client the other day and, you know, I understand why some jobs you have to have certain skills and I get it, but I also really look at what someone could do. And that's partially because that's how I grew up in the world, right? When I started my HR career, it was my second job out of college. I had 150 employees. I was a manager, um, 150 employees at the company. They taught me how to workshop, lead workshops. They taught me how to lead HR. I had no experience in that. And had they not given me that chance, I would not be where I am today, right? So I'm a big fan of looking at what someone's skills are translatable or and what they can do. So I think you have to know what you, who you're looking for, right? Like, what is that person? What, what do they look for? Then you have to know, of course, what it is that they're going to do and be really clear on that. I think that's another step that gets skipped a lot is what are they doing? Sometimes we know we need somebody else, but, and we just know like, like, oh, we're making this thing and we know we need one other person to put it in the box, but what else are they going to do? Right? So what are they going to do? And then, um, and then you just have to sort of be relentless in not accepting anybody less than that. Um, in the hiring process in general, I know that things get overlooked constantly in terms of um, like, I feel like an applicant's communicating to you from the minute you start interacting with them all the way through and they don't pay attention to some of that communication. We make excuses and all of that. And then anyway, so we don't always end up. So absolutely hire the best, number one. And then, um, 
and then get really close in that first 90 days, closely manage them, make sure you're giving them every chance to be successful. And anywhere in there, if it seems like they're not going to be a match, it's the best time to say goodbye, right? Yeah. But you got to learn from that because what some leaders do, they'll say, well, I'll just use that 90 days as a trial, right? But if you keep burning through people, two things happen. Depending on your industry, you will get a reputation for burning through people and it'll be harder to find really good people because no one will want to come work for you. Mm. And then the, on the other side, your internal issues are that your employees will see that you're doing that and be like, what's going on? Like, why can't we hire anybody good? Or why does what, you know, just we, we just started like a lot of times it happens with employees is they connect personally. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, I really like that person. And now they're gone, you know. Mm. So you got to worry about both sides of that. And that's why it's really important to um, to do a good job on that. So so where do you find them is really I mean, you can use all the traditional methods. Right. Yeah. But it's not sort of paying that attention to detail in terms of the process, what you're looking for, who you're looking for and not letting go of that for any excuse. Yeah. I love it. We're in, yeah. we're in a spot where everything's sh- not everything. A majority of things are shifting digital and remote. Mm-hmm. How do we navigate this world of managing people remotely? Yeah. Well, thank goodness we have things like this that we're doing right now, because I don't know what we would have done, but it, it just makes this connection even more important. So mm. um, I, I think that every, so for me, every leader should meet with every single team member for an engagement meeting, 15 minutes every two weeks without fail. And it's 15 minutes for a reason. You're busy. I don't ever want it to become 20 minutes. I don't ever want it to, it can be less than 15 if it goes faster than that, but I don't ever want it to turn into like a, um, what do you call that? Like a to-do meeting or anything like that. It's it's intentionally about engagement. How are, how are they liking their job? What, have, what challenges have they encountered that would make their job easier? Is there anything they've seen they want to do that they haven't had an opportunity to do yet? Questions like that you would ask. And you don't, you're not going to get through all of them. You're maybe going to ask one question and have a little discussion. But I think in this world of remote management, those are really important and they have to be video. I think that you've got to find as many opportunities to connect with your people using everything, you know, obviously using text, email, video conferencing and telephone calls. And it's going to it's like almost like if you feel like you're communicating a lot, I would almost increase it. Because you're probably not communicating as often as you think you are, or at least check in with your team and find out if they're getting the the level of communication that they want. Um, I'm going to say pay attention to those responses, though, because your low performers will tell you that they can use less communication. They'll be like, Mm -hmm. oh, you know, a little less would be good. Your high performers will tell you that it's either enough or they will want more in some way, or they might have an idea of a different way to communicate. But your low performers will be like, oh, you can actually interact with me less. (laughs) They almost feel slippery. Oh, they're so slippery. They're hard to find during the day. They're the ones that when you try to reach out to them and contact them, they're not available and they have a million excuses of where they were, right? I was in the kitchen or wherever they're working. You know, I was, I was not, oh, sorry. I just stepped outside to get the mail for a second, whatever. They're very hard to find. Um, They have a lot of excuses for why they can't get the job done. They often have a lot of personal problems that pull at our heartstrings as business owners, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh man, you had another death in the family. Oh God, that's terrible. But anything to get you to stop managing them, to allow them just to sort of lay low on the radar and that you can't, you can't hold them accountable. Once yeah. you start holding them accountable, 
you see the, usually you start seeing, um, usually first some personal stuff will come up, but then you'll see them usually get really frustrated or angry because it's really difficult to be a low performer if your leader's paying attention to you. Oh yeah. It's almost impossible. <laughs> Especially when you scoot that chair right up next to him on the desk and be like, all right, we're just going to, I'm going to hang for a few minutes. We're just going to chat. I know. I miss that. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to watch your process. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's so funny because even remotely you can do that. So we just did that in my office. I have someone who conducts a lot of phone interviews for our clients or video conference interviews. And so I said, you know what, Hey, I'm going to sit in a couple of your interviews. Cause I just, you know, I haven't done it in a while and you know what, I think he's great, but I just want to check in and just see how things are going. And, and he even said at the end, wow, that was awesome. It was so good to have you there because he said, you asked questions that I hadn't thought of. And then afterwards we could do a debrief of like, why did I ask that question when I asked it? And what did I, what did I hear or see? So it's great to keep, you got to keep in contact with your employees. And truthfully, you know what? Your high performers crave management. Like they don't want to be micromanaged, but they crave you to manage them. They want you to see them because they want to feel valued. Wow. So significance reigns pretty high on their list. Absolutely. Like, yeah. I mean, and I think if everybody really thinks about that, just personally, I know in my career, if I just would have worked, matter of fact, I even had a job where I had this fantastic job. I was getting paid great money at a great office. It's pretty easy, but I could not get a, a meeting with the COO, who's my boss. I could not get a meeting with him. It was very, very difficult. I don't even know why to this day, why it was so difficult. <laughs> So, you know, after working literally in a vacuum for almost a year, I was like, you know what? I am not growing, right? No one is seeing what I'm doing. I think I'm doing good work because I'm getting feedback from employees, but I don't know. No one's giving me any feedback. I can't get a meeting. So I just decided to leave. And that was my one job I quit without having another job. But I truthfully was just done. I was like, this is, I'm not enjoying myself. Like there's no challenge. There's no feedback. I don't know if I'm doing good or bad. You know, I don't know if there's other opportunities. So I think you've got to really, you've got to remember high performers like to feel seen. Low performers do not. High performers like to feel seen. Yeah. That's uncomfortable for a leader too, right? Especially yes. if that's not a role you've been used to or trained in or have that level of experience. Yes. It, at, in the early stage, it feels very, uh, like you said, micromanaging. It, it does. Like, if it, yeah. it does. It does. And, and you know what, here's another thing I think entrepreneurs struggle with because you wouldn't be an entrepreneur if you didn't have this drive to like do it all, do it right. And you're like, yeah. go, go, go. And so then you think, well, I don't want to crush this person's spirit or I don't, yeah, I don't want to tell them, but again, remember they're not the entrepreneur. They're not the owner. Right. They came to work for you for a reason. They're passionate about what you're doing. They're your best friend. They're your uncle, whatever, <laughs> whoever they are, wherever you found them but they need guidance too. And they, they, they do need guidance and they need to, they need to know that what they're doing is valuable. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for being here. This has been incredible. My pleasure. I'm so glad we got to do it. Thank you for inviting me. Me too. One more time. Where can people find you and get a hold of your content? So I am on Instagram and LinkedIn at Anne Laguza. And I also have a website, of course, theworksconsulting.com. Um, please follow me. I try to put out as much stuff as I can on a regular basis. So you have lots of tips and things to do as a leader. 
Awesome. I love it. Guys, as always, thank you so much for listening. We don't run ads. We don't charge you anything for the show. We don't try to spam you with BS social media courses. So if you wouldn't mind, please go leave a review, hit that subscribe button on Apple or Spotify, wherever you consume it. And please, please, please go follow Anne's content. I promise you her IG stories are absolutely on fire with everything. You'll love it. You'll love her content. Thank you so much for being here and we'll catch you in the next episode. Thank <laughs> you.